Welcome to the Grow the Game podcast, hosted by your own Corbin King and Peyton Mattingly. Today we are joined by Coach Pat Scary, who is the current head coach at Towson University. Coach Scary became one of the youngest head coaches in the country at age 26 when he took over for the basketball program at Curry. Since then, Coach Scary has been assistant coach at many Division I schools, including a stop at Pittsburgh before Towson. Last year, Coach Scary led Towson to his first ever conference title in the Colonial Conference and is looking to build on last year and bring it into next year. Coach Scary, we're super excited to have you on today. How are you? I'm great. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of talk about your coaching career, um, how it got started, and why you wanted to get into coaching. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, you, you know, I was a I was a hockey player growing up in Boston um, up until about like sixth grade and uh, right around there a year or two early. I remember starting to play a little bit of basketball. Um, my parents had gotten divorced and I, it was like an outlet for me and I kind of fell in love with the game. Plus I played with two guys that ended up in the NHL, the, the Sacco brothers. Uh, and I used to think I was good in hockey till I had to really play against them. And then I realized Maybe I wasn't that good. It was more that I was just playing with them. So I think basketball gave me my own niche and, um, you know, loved it. I was one of those guys in college. Um, I went to Tufts University and played there. But in the summer, I always wore camps, you know, 12 weeks of camp in the summer and men's leagues, all that stuff. So kind of always thought I'd end up doing something in, in uh, basketball. And, you know, like a lot of us, I graduated. and. Um, you know, I've told this story before. It's a true story. I finally, uh, senior end, you know, the, the summer falls about to start. We're in August. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing next. I get a job at an educational firm in Cambridge, Mass. I work Monday through Thursday. My mom had gotten me the job. I was going in Friday. My dad had taken my two brothers away. And on my way in, I, uh, I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I, uh, I did, I played a lottery ticket and I won like 400 and it was $73. And I thought I was ready to retire. So I drove up to New Hampshire. My father woke up around 10, 11, when he shook his head. He said, I thought you would have lasted a couple of weeks uh, more than you did. Um, so I hung it up and I'm like, what am I going to do? Right. The fall, fall comes around. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do next. So I, I played for Bob Sheldon, a great, great coach at Tufts. He gave me a job at Tufts. He gave me $300 my first year. That was the recruiting budget back then. And I, uh, I substitute taught, got my bartending license. I referee and license for high school basketball, high school soccer. I just tried to hang in there. Then I became a GA at Tufts where I worked on my master's for two years. And I worked in the equipment room, the weight room. And then it kind of got going from there. I went to Stonehill college as a, as a, uh, part-time assistant when they were division two for a year. Then I got a huge break. I was 26 years old uh, and applied at Curry college up in Boston. They, they just took their job full-time and a, a woman who was a great AD and mentor Pam Samuelson took a chance on me as, as the youngest coach in the country. She gave me the head job at Curry. Uh, one of the best jobs I've ever had. I spent two years there and we're starting to get it going. It was a pretty good job. And then I, uh, you know, I always wanted to get in Division One guys, and I, uh, I think I was making like mid high forties at Curry, and um, I just gotten uh, engaged. My wife Kristen worked at Curry, and I came home and told her I got good news and bad news. 
good news is that uh, going to Division One, I just took, accepted a job at Northeastern. She, she said, bad news. I said, pays 12 grand. So that was a, uh, that was tough, but it was great. It's a great opportunity. I worked with some excellent assistants, Jay Young, Charlton Young, Kenny Dempsey, you know what I mean? Really good, you know. Uh, so two years at Northeastern under Rudy Keeling. Then I went to William & Mary with Ricky Boyages, who did a good job. That was three years at William & Mary. And then I went to the College of Charleston with Tom Herrian, uh, who was a good friend. And we had similar New England roots. Two years with Tom, um, he, he had that going pretty good at Charleston. And then I got a, I got a big break. I met uh, Coach Barron at, at head coach of Rhode Island. So I got to go up to Rhodey um, for, for three years at, at Rhode Island. Um, we, we had a couple of very good years. And it's a funny story, right? We're going to the game. I met Coach Barron. I used to work. They used to call these USA coaching clinics. And I was the local coordinator for Boston, which meant they would give me a couple hundred bucks for the weekend to pick up the speakers at the airport and I could go to the clinic for free. So I was like, yeah, I'm in. And I, uh, Bob Murray used to run those clinics. And that, I actually met Coach Barron driving him back and forth from the airport when he was at St. Bonaventure and always stayed in, in, in touch with them. So I was three years of Coach Barron at Rhode Island. And then I got a significant break. Uh, Keno Davis got the head job at Providence. That was in the you know, Big East was a, was a monster back then. Um, and he was looking for a recruiter up in the Northeast. Um, and we had some decent success recruiting up there. And I, I was able to get, get on with him for, for two years. And then the major break for me was uh, I got hired at Pittsburgh with Jamie Dixon, who had it in juggernaut, you know, we were number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And, um, Without working for Coach Dixon, I'd be probably selling coat hangers in Liberia. You know, um, that was just a big, big break. And obviously, I uh, was fortunate to get the job here at Towson. Uh, Mike Waddell was the AD, and Bob Corrett was the president. They took a chance on a on a guy like me a long time ago, and I'm forever appreciative. So it's a lot of stops, <laughs> a lot of stops along the way. Those aren't fun, those aren't easy, but uh, we've been fortunate to be here a while now. So can you talk about what it was like transitioning from player to coach? Yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I played for Bob Sheldon at Tufts and then worked for him. He probably would tell you that uh, I thought I was coaching the team when I was playing for him. So um, I was a little bit of a pain in the rear end as a, as a, as a, as a point guard. Um, you know, I think I could have done a better job of uh, channeling competitiveness at times, but I, you know, uh, I, I'd always work camps and, and a lot of the guys you worked for back then at camps, like Bentley with Jay Lawson or Harvard with, with coach Frank Sullivan, those guys were kind enough Merrimack with the late Bert Hamill. They let me coach. So they know I had a passion. That. So I was always around it. And, um, I had a good younger brother who uh, played AAU. So I would go to all the AAU stuff. So I don't know. I felt like that was a, it was a big piece of my, uh, I thought I didn't go out in college and do those type of things because I certainly did, but I, uh, I'd also be running around doing a lot of basketball stuff as well. When you got your first head coaching job, you mentioned you were one of the youngest coaches in the country. So obviously you hadn't been in the coaching world super long yet. How did that experience kind of prepare you to be a head coach now? And what kind of lessons did you learn from those few years at Curry? Yeah, Tom, first of all, I'm thankful for all the student athletes I got to, 
coach and there's a there's a whole bunch of them that I still talk to um, which is the best part about the job right the relationships that you get the chance to build yeah I'd coached for four years and um, so I was part-time at Stonehill uh, myself and Eddie Cooley were the assistants and I was I got my real estate license I was a very very unsuccessful real estate agent um, I want to be on record of that I was not very good and so I knew Curry's job opened. So I actually, it's a crazy story. I go over to Curry to interview. They're looking for also head of, um, not outside of athletics, head of a dorm, like, you know, a resident director. So I was on an interview for that position. And I had reached out to the AD to say that I was going to be on campus and was interested in the head job. I figured that maybe I could put the two together and get a head coaching job. And then she came in and told me, we can lunch in the cafeteria carry on my interview that hey just so you know the job is now going to go full time so i turned to the people i was interviewing with and i said i'm with charm my name on this thing and um it, it ended up working out but i, I you know i made a hundred mistakes there um but you know we had, had a great passionate president there ken quigley and a great ad and it, it was awesome 26 years old you know trying to build a program i this is true because um, one of my assistants who, who did an awesome job for us was Adam Nelson, the, the, the dirt king. So that, that's, that's, how, that's how old I am. And um, Adam and I, we set out on a mission going into year two. We wanted to get 100 kids to visit campus. We ended up getting 96. We, we, we didn't quite get to 100, but we were, we were determined to get after it, get it going. Um, it was great, man. It was like having a lab and it, there's certainly, like I said, a lot of mistakes I made, but there's things I can, I, I definitely know there's things I, I took from my experience at Curry when I got the job here at Towson, um, you know, when you're trying to re, you know, create or change some structure, some habits that, 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 that I took from those experiences. So when you got the head coaching job at Curry, what were some of your first steps that you took? You know what? Um, one, like just to get the guys committed to like basketball, their bodies, you know, I don't care. It's vision three to one. Like, and I lived it as a player. I want, I want to coach guys that lived it, you know? So just figuring out who those guys were. Um, you know, there's certainly things from athletics, being on an athletics team and part of that, that help you in life. Right time management, how to persevere, how to be a good teammate, how to be resilient, how to compete. Um, so just just trying to lay the groundwork with all those things. And certainly we've changed and, and, you know, how we condition a practice from back then to, to now. But I'd like to think the, um, the intensity piece to me is, is somewhat still there, but the emotional intelligence is a little bit higher than it was back then. Yeah, so when you left Curry, you moved back to Division One. You mentioned the goal was always to get Division One. Kind of talk about the jump from head coach, now back to assistant coach, and how you brought value at each program that you went to. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I think I was more a great opportunity for me at Northeastern. You know, uh, Jay Young, the very successful head coach at Fairfield, put me in the mix there. Uh, he's one of my closest friends in the business, and uh, really, it happened because I used to do uh, like about thirty ball handling lectures at camp in the summer when I was coaching at Curry and trying to pick up some extra money, get our, get our brand out there for Curry. And 
I spoke at Northeastern and, and head coach at the time, Rudy Kaling, watched my lecture. And he was like, yeah, I'm really interested in you because I'm looking for someone to come in and work with our perimeter guys. And so that, that kind of got the thing going. Um, but it was definitely a learning experience, you know, um, just from the, the detail of a visual operation and uh, the amount of work. And, you know, so that, that was, that was, like I said, a major learning experience. And then, you know, like the next step was William and Mary and Rick Boyajas has been a long time assistant for Jimmy O'Brien and he, and then Jamie Cashamaric, who's a very good coach, high school coach now in Ohio. Uh, you know, we, we kind of were down there for a while. Then we had a Milan Brown who's at Pittsburgh. So we had good staff and um, we were really young. CAA was a bear and it was just, but it was fun. You know what I mean? It was the first time moving away and we just were sinking our teeth in there and you know, trying to recruit your tail off and, and compete. So it was in some, you know, but Rick taught me a lot about basketball. He was a terrific, terrific tactician. Um, and then like I said, go to Charleston. Um, I think we won, was it two years? Uh, Coach Herring's middle two years. I think we won 20 and like 18 or 20 and 20. We had good teams. League was good with like, uh, you know, Coach McKillop, Beck Davidson, some some of those people. Uh, but Charleston was a was an awesome job just because of the tradition that John Cress had developed. Played in an old old gym back then; it'd be thirty four hundred packed. Um, and I think you know Tom was a was a uh, was a successful young coach. I think I also was able to take in like some of the pressures that those type of um, and expectations and and you know, how, how to try to deal with some of those. That, that was a valuable experience. But I certainly made my mark as a recruiter because we, we had uh, my second year, we brought, I think it was four or five prep school kids in, uh, all from up in the Northeast that, that I had recruited. So that I was able to make a mark that way. Um, and then like I said the rest of them were up that way, you know, Rhodey, Providence, and, and Pitt. That's, you know, high levels, Atlantic 10, Big East. Um, I always feel like if you want to, as an assistant, uh, you know, the way you make your mark is you got to recruit and that that's how you make your mark. And then, you know, whatever else your coach asks you to do, that's when you're in his trust as a, as a tactician, a scout guy, a player development guy, but you, you know, re, too many assistants will say they don't want to be known as a recruiter. I would tell you quite the opposite. That's going to present opportunities for you, whether it's financial or job. And then from there, you can show that, you are more than just a recruiter. So talking about recruiting, when you're on the road, what are some cues that you're looking for that you know that a player might fit your system and culture? And then whenever you get them on campus, what are the first things that you do to instill that culture in them? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, talent, right? That's always a baseline in anything we do. You know, what, what jumps out at you? based on what you're looking for, you know, how does he move? How does he look? You know, shoot, you know, talent. Second thing is, is toughness, right? Does he go after the ball like this or does he go head first? Uh, does he run hard? You know, that, that, that competitive piece, the toughness. And the third thing is character, which is probably the hardest to define. So obviously you're watching who's in the stands, how does he react in huddles? You're trying to do background work. And then certainly we've never been perfect on that. Um, so talent, toughness, character. And then when we get guys, like our whole thing is, you know, our whole philosophy here has been we we want to get good players and get them better. We Well, we do that by developing habits. And you develop habits by creating a consistent routine. What we're doing, when we're doing it, and how we're doing it. 
So that, that's really what we try to do. As an assistant coach, obviously recruiting is very different. You're trying to find um, players that you think the head coach would want. As a head coach, how did recruiting change? How did your mindset in recruiting change? Yeah, you know, I mean, it certainly hasn't been perfect. We're trying to evaluate the same things. I still trust my eye. Um, you know, if I've seen a, I've seen a guy, I'll tell him, yeah, I want him. You know, what, 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 I, what I like from assistants, and, you know, everyone's different, but what I really like from assistants is when they have conviction. That's how I was an assistant. If I saw a guy enough and believed in a guy, and my head coach was wishy-washy. I was going to stand my ground, tell him he's wrong, and this is why he's wrong. And I've seen the guy X amount of times. I'll take a guy, and, and I've gotten better at this. Going with my, if one of my, some of my staff has a lot of conviction and tell me why we need to take him, I'm going to take him. If he doesn't, then I, then I'm you know not as it's going to be harder to excite me. Yeah, talking about your staff wanting conviction, what are some other qualities that you look for when you're building a staff? Yeah, I think anytime you have an opening and whatever the opening is, you got to evaluate that and and take a very, what you would consider, you know, this is what we need at this time. So I think that always changes and evolves. Um, I want guys to be proactive rather than reactive. You know, um, how do we make things better? I love, I love ideas. Now I'm going to ask if the guy says we should be, you know, we should be wearing, you know, uh, you know, green hats and practice. I'll do it if they give me a why, you know, if there's no why, then I'm going to be like, well, how can we execute it? You know, um, you know, I always have a phrase here. Execution is the answer, you know, and, um, we should, you know, so that, that's a big thing. And then like anything else, work ethic, loyalty. Um, I don't, we'll, we'll meet this time of year for like an hour, you know, as we get new, if, if long as guys are scattered with recruiting, but for practice, we'll meet for an hour and some housekeeping items, some film practice. How do we get going? So I, I like that. And then I'll try to leave guys alone. Now I'm, I'm uh, I don't know what the right word is. Is it notorious or infamous for uh, I'm a late night texter while I'm watching film and catching up on stuff. Uh, you know, I'm sure the guy I've, I've, I've have had a lot of really good staff work here and I, I have it now. I'm sure amongst them, they uh, they kill me behind my back with the, all the late night texts, you know. <laughs> they obviously staff is very important, especially when you first get the job as a head coach. And when you got to Towson, you know, the program hadn't been very successful. Kind of talk about your first year and then the next year, you're part of some history with the, one of the biggest turnaround in college basketball. After winning one game, you went 18 and 13. Talk about the first year and then the transition into the second year. I like the second year a lot better than the first. They, uh, yeah, you know, sports is humbling, right? I'm on a staff at Pitt. You win 30 games, come to Towson, lose 30 games, and next year you win an 18. And we wouldn't want more than that if we didn't have a postseason band. Um, you know, a couple things. One, uh, I think what we walked into here at Towson was not a product of the coaching staff. I don't think there was support in place. You know, I think that's coaches are easy targets to blame. Um, you know, two, if you watched us on offense, our, our practice, we ran the exact same practice year one to year two, exact same stuff. We just had a guy named Jarrell Benneman sitting out who ended up playing the NBA. So as I told you earlier, talent is a talent is a baseline. I became a lot better coach when I had I had a really good player. Um, now, what I will say is we 
we went into the first year and, you know, I, I knew what I didn't know. Um, and I certainly made a lot of mistakes that year, but we got better. Uh, we did not back off. I mean, it's not easy when you lose 21 straight games to, you know, how do you enjoy that? Well, I don't, I'll tell you, I definitely didn't enjoy it, but I, we didn't go into practice and, hey, today is going to be about kumbaya and, you know, no, I just said, this is how we practice and we're going to get better today. You know, like we're going to honor the process. That's a saying we've had here and, and, and just try to get better today. And, and hopefully that puts us in a position to have some success. And, and it, it did happen for us the second year. I was really proud of that group. To, to do. I, I think, you know, this is going to sound a little weird, but we started off four and eight my second year. And then we ended up, you know, 18 wins to tell a group that they're banned from playing in the postseason, and then to set an all time NCAA record that probably won't be broken for a single season turnaround is that group of guys that played here did not get enough credit. Um, I wish guys like you and the social were, were, were more um, pronounced back then, because what those guys did, it's, it's to go from one to 18, knowing that you were banned, was, uh, you know, I'll be forever grateful for those guys. I mean, Benham and Dom, as Burwell, Guthrie, McGlynn, Parker, Dix, and those guys were the ultimate, ultimate soldiers. Uh, can you talk about your experience and what it means to you with coaching whenever you started the autism awareness in college basketball? Well, that's nice to ask. I, I think we I, I've gotten a little bit too much credit for having a clever idea of, you know, going into like our, our third year of how many national TV games uh, were on a Saturday in February and then getting all the rock stars to wear the puzzle piece on their uh, lapel, you know. And, and you know, coaches are great when you ask them to do stuff. So we got Autism Speaks involved and that's helped. And uh, we've got the Women's Coaches Association. And now we got to figure out how to make it make it better. Um, and I'll be honest, like that's where we're a little bit stuck right now. How do we how do we improve it? Um, but I, I, it's, I'm just thankful for so many. I think like most years we've had four or 500 schools, you know, participate by wearing the blue puzzle piece. And yeah, autism has affected me. I have a younger son, Owen, who's on the spectrum. Um, and and the, the, the impetus behind the campaign was it costs, the average cost to a family is about 40 to 50 grand. And my thing was, well, how, we got to bring some awareness to that. And this is just a, platform we have that can hopefully bring some awareness to it yeah i think that's so special here impacting the game like that and i think building a team culture can resolve around things like that so kind of talk about how you build your team culture at Towson and how maybe you've seen it change in your in your tenure there yeah i, I hopefully like i said i i you know i i think i've gotten better i think i'm uh you know certainly have made i i a lot of mistakes. I make the most mistakes in the program because I make the most decisions. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I do know how fortunate I am to get to, you know, get to build relationships with players and staff. And I love the, I love that you love these guys. I mean, like um, I'm a coach them all the same, like as far as if you're the best guy and you're a first team all league guy, like Nick Timberlake or, or you're a walk on, you know, I'm, I'm going to get after him in practice. Um, so I think guys would say that he's pretty consistent with that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you can have a culture till you have habits. 
And, and I think where we have evolved is like last year, we had the best year in school history. I can tell you if in 30 years of coaching, it was the nicest group of gentlemen I've ever been around. Um, and I believe this group has a chance to do that as well. So we had a really, really bad experience um, during pandemic. Uh, you know, the, the train was off the tracks and it, it just gave us, a, gave me a chance to, I spent a lot of time when you have four, when you have four 14 day pauses from the middle of December to that, that's 56 days and no practice. So it, what I did was I really tried to dig in on what we would, what I was doing poorly and how could we make some changes? Um, and then we just got really fortunate. I, I'm really proud of our staff. I think they responded. And then just the, this, just the gentleman that we had in the program made it a lot of fun. And now we got to try to do it again. Going back to your first year in coaching till now, when did your coaching philosophy, when did you start building it and did it change throughout your career? Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's always evolving. I mean, I've always wanted, you know, I hope if you play against uh, one of my teams that you, you know, you, I, I keenly aware that we can lose to anyone. I hope people think if they play against one of uh, my teams is that you got to play close to 40 minutes to beat us. You know, I hope that's a trademark. So, you know, playing hard is something that we use, but that's something that we try to make sure happens. But, but certainly um, I've evolved in some areas. I mean, the, I've always been a big defense and rebounding guy and being around coach Dixon at Pitt educated me like that was like getting a master's in, in those areas of, of basketball where I, I definitely wasn't up to speed so um, we've stayed with a lot of those and then like I said a couple of years coming out of the pandemic uh, you know, we, we made some drastic changes offensively to how we play um, some of it's skill development um, spacing and some of it's just the intent of the guys we recruited and you know I think the way if you watch us now you would say well their ball movement really defines them um, and I'm appreciative of that. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly have regrets. I, I always go back and watch games and think about things and say to myself, why, why did you, why didn't you do a better job then? Uh, you know, but I guess that's part of it, right? You want the perfect game. That's the quest. Um, perfect practice, the perfect season's probably never going to happen, but that's, that's why we do this. On the topic of things, you know, changing throughout your coaching career, Obviously, the game of college basketball has changed dramatically and it continues to change every year. Personally, for you, what was the hardest change to kind of adapt to? You know, so there's NIL, transfer portal, maybe or a certain rule like the shot clock or three-point line being moved back. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I know I'm prepared for is, is anything. You know, I go from losing 31 games and having – not a lot of guys had to live on an APR band. And then, you know, really my fourth year, I felt like we were starting the program over because when you have a postseason ban, people kill you in recruiting. So we had a young team and we started over and then we had pretty good success. You know, I'd say I had a group maybe about five, six years ago. That's even though they won 18 games, I, I, did, I just didn't do a good enough job getting those guys where they could have, I think, gotten to. Um, and then I lost a couple of really good players before the portal. Um, crushing players kid justin gorham was a great guy led the country in rebounding houston and zane martin who was an all-league player for us transferred late and there was no portal heck i took zane back he's a great player you know um so i knew what transfers could do to 
at this level to really decimate you. But then we got back quickly. And then you deal with pandemic and people forget too. I had a year, one year here, we were like, we'd won 11 out of 12 and our leading scorer and rebounder was one of our best players ever, kid named Johnny Davis. He got shot and, uh, up in Philly, uh, the baptism of his son. It's, uh, we lost in the semis by like four points. Uh, it's hard to lose your leading scorer and rebounder with a week left in the regular, <laughs> regular season. So uh, what I've tried to do is like, you, you know, I, I know what we're defined by in whatever, you know, media or fans, you know what I mean? I, I get all that, even probably administrators too. Uh, but I'm also keenly aware of, you know, we really just try to focus on today and how how to be good and get better because that's going to give us opportunities later on. You know, I take tremendous pride in that the 10 years before we got here, we won 26% of our CAA games. And if you throw out the pandemic, the 10 years since then, we've won 59% of our CAA games. Now, not a lot of people know that, and we're not asking for a statue, but we take pride in knowing that, you know, we, we've got a competitive group here in and in in a very good conference, uh, year, year, you know, for the most part, year in, year out. You had the opportunity to coach in the World Cup with the under-19 team. What were some stories and relationships you built while you were coaching that team? So I was a court coach. I was out there for like four days. Um, and Coach Dixon obviously – set that up and then Sean Ford or was it let me in from USA basketball anyone that gets a chance to do anything for USA basketball how like I said it was only four days for me should do it that that operation is a machine um they they just they really know how to execute you know at a high level um and then I just blown away with the talent players you know Chet Holmgren of the, of the world I mean like you know, uh, it takes about 45 seconds in the gym. See the way that ball was whizzing. And I was like, this is like a doctorate in basketball. But it's funny. Uh, and then just, uh, I think, was anytime you get together with coaches, I mean, obviously I was around Coach Dixon a lot. But, you know, um, I think the other core coaches are Mike Boynton and um, Grant McCaslin. So just uh, we, we stole a couple of things from them, just doing some X and O. And then Jared Haas and uh, uh, James. Jones from Yale for assistance and Matt Painter came in. He's really sharp, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, I'm a division three guy. Any chance I can get to be around guys and steal some stuff, I want to try to do it. You know, um, one thing coach Dixon always said, I think I've been pretty good about this is over my career is, is tried never to, never to pass up a basketball opportunity. When you talk about, you know, winning so many conference games, 26%, jumping to 59% when you got here in your first 10 seasons, you talked about handling, you know, failure, winning one game in your first season. How are you handling success as a coach? And how do you continue to build on a good season, like going into next year? Well, that's the challenge this year, right? You know, um, you know, I've tried to do some self-study, Zooms, film, um, Things I think we have to do better. Um, we've put together a brutal, brutal non-conference schedule, which I think creates opportunities for us, but also some evaluation tools of where we got to where we got to get to. Um, 
you know, we have a theme amongst our guys. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing. How do we, and I know what the goal is, but the quest is to how to have the best practice today. You know what I mean? That's going to help us later on. Not, none of that stuff changes. And it's the same thing with, with our, with our players. Like, you know, um, we, we had our top four scorers come back. Three of them were all league and one led the conference in three point shooting. And these guys came back for all the right reasons in college basketball. So I just want to appreciate coaching those guys, you know, Bolden, Timberlake, Thompson, Gibson. Um, you know, they didn't come back because they were promised this or that. They, they came back to try to help us finish the job. Um, and they're really just good people. And, and I hope that anyone that watches us or supports us understands that and, and appreciates those guys. I certainly do. So one of my things is like, well, we might be deeper potential than we've ever been. As long as knock on wood, that those guys are, are healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm riding with those guys because as a coach, like I said, I'm, I'm just grateful that they, 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 they came back and I want to enjoy that and I want them to enjoy it. So, you know, talking to them, I've given them more voice than I would have given any other team I've had or players like with our schedule, like they, I said late, hey, we could play a cut. We, we, we can't get anyone to play at home. We could play a couple of non ones at home. And, or I said, we could have two brutal games at Bryant, who's, who's you know, picked to win the league and start a series at UMass. And I mean, I mean that guy's got like a Final Four coach and, you know, the upgrade in talent there is ridiculous. And our guy said, hey, let's, let's go play some people. And, Sorry, I said I told him yesterday at practice. I thought we were just okay. I said, "I'm, I'm you, you ain't gonna make me look very intelligent." That's how we, that's how we, uh, how we perform. You know. You talked about never missing a basketball opportunity earlier in your coaching career. How did working summer camps help build you to the coach you are today? A great question. Uh, a lot. Um, so I mean, really, I'm a jobs. I got Northeastern because I was doing ball hand lectures. You know, I go to William and Mary because I used to do ball hand lectures for Rick Boyages when he was assistant at BC. I go from uh, William and Mary to Charleston. I used to work the Merrimack camps. Tom Herrian, who I worked for Charleston, was the assistant. He ran all the camps at Merrimack. So that that helped me like crazy. And then I say I got to Rhode Island to a connection working on USA coaching clinics. So. A, a lot it's changed, right? The game's changed that way. And the camp piece is not as prominent with some of that, uh, you know, more grassroots stuff is, but that's, to me, that's how, you know, uh, I think doing a lot of that stuff opened up a lot of doors. I didn't play division one. Um, I wasn't, uh, part of a blue blood staff. So, you know, uh, my path is a little, little different I, but I certainly don't take that for granted I'm also, I'm also keenly aware that how good of coaches there are in high school AU division three division two um, not that there aren't really good coaches at our level but a lot of it is do you want to be in division one there's a lot of guys don't and they're, they're extremely happy and successful where they're at and then a lot of other guys that have got to this level uh, I, I think that a lot of it's luck and timing, and I've certainly been a benefit of that too. 
as you kind of moved around, talk about the interviewing process and how people can better prepare for that. Maybe from your experience as interviewing for a job or even as a head coach, as you're interviewing people. That's a really good question. I've certainly missed on enough of these. So uh, I don't know if I'm the right person for that. Uh, I, I think even the ones that haven't worked out, what I have felt good about is I was very authentic and direct about what I thought I could bring, how we would do it, and where that place was at. Um, and I've got more confidence than ever in that because, you know, we've, we went from one to 18. We also went from a brutal pandemic year four to 25. So um, I'm not easily discouraged. And I think we have a plan in place on how to get a place competitive. Now, whether or not that aligns with the other school, well, you know, I, I, I don't believe in being phony. Um, but I, I think, you know, be honest about what, where you see places, uh, what you think your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And I think you've got to talk very honestly about some stuff you think you're going to need, you know, to have a fighting chance. If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. Now, back when I took this thing, like I said, if it wasn't for the AD that hired me, Mike Waddell, um, and getting Jarrell Bannerman, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not coaching uh, because I, you know, we come in here, we lose 31 games. Um, and then I didn't know we were going to hit with a postseason ban. So I'll be honest, if I knew we were going to get hit with that, that's not, Pitt was winning one seed tournament. I would never have, you know, I would never have done that. So uh, having lived that takes a lot out of you. I've got two hip replacements. I've had my thyroid removed. So, I mean, they get, they've gotten blood from Estonia. Um, but it's, it's uh, you, you know, you just got to understand, like, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's what you do every day. It's, uh, I have a, we have a nice donor here. I'm looking at my wall. He sent me a picture about six, seven years ago to hang up. It says, if you don't build it every day, it all goes to hell. And I think you got to kind of take that mindset. From each program you've been at, how have you helped develop the student managers to be young aspiring coaches? Well, I just, I hopefully by how they see me work and attack in relationship with the players. Um, you know, we've had some very, very good managers at a lot of spots I've been at. Um, you know, and I, I think uh, they also, the ones that are really good, they gravitate to assistance, you know what I mean? Because they can learn, learn the in and outs that way. Um, you know, I think much like being a Division three player, visual manager, you understand that, you kind of inherently understand that no task isn't important. I mean, everything's, everything's important. And I think when guys understand that, you know, there is, I'm not going to tell you I was patient as an assistant. I wasn't, but if you can understand that every task is important, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get noticed, you'll get rewarded. I, I do believe that. Yeah, coach, early in your career, you talked about getting engaged. You met your wife at Curry. Talk about having a family and building a family while being in the coaching business. Yeah, that's not one of the, you know, I don't think any of us are overly, I mean, take, you lose, you know, you lose a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, you do get to make your, being the head coach is good. You get at times move some schedule stuff around, but, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think coaches' wives, especially, or coaches' spouses, because obviously women's coaches work really hard too. It's, uh, you know, I mean, this is a lifestyle being an athletic, so you do miss some stuff. And I, I unfortunately, I'm going to always have regrets about some, some of that, you know, 
Um, but I'm appreciative of the job. Uh, my wife has done an unbelievable job with our kids. Uh, and I think uh, most of the time, moms are the ones raising kids. I think being a mom is, is the hardest job on, on earth. Um, I can absolutely tell you that there's no way I could successfully do that. I don't think, um, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I know I, I'm very grateful that we've been able to be here a while because my son, my oldest son, Ryan has been always just now going to be a senior in high school. So, you know, finish that, um, that piece. Uh, but I certainly don't like earlier how much uh, I think back on moving and bouncing around and probably being, having blinders on, which is career blinders at that point. So uh, that's why I get into tell you, some guys, they probably could be at different places, but they, 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 they like where they're at, you know, Hey, I hope to be here a while if, um, if, if they want me to, I also, you know, I would hope that our track record, uh, maybe someone else would then if they don't, they, you know, I always tell people, Hey, and I've told people here this, I love our place. You, you might, you might be able to do better. History indicates you could also do worse. So you got to make, make that decision. Make that decision. Absolutely. And Coach Scary, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Any last bits of advice that you want to give to young aspiring coaches, basketball fans, or just anyone listening to the podcast? Well, one, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, and you know, I'm looking forward to following your progress because you're clearly invested. Uh, you know, and I, I love that. Like I said, my... Uh, my theme, my motto growing up has always been, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. So hopefully, uh, you know, you guys keep doing that too. I think you got, you got bright futures ahead for you. Oh, we appreciate that. And thank you so much. Best of luck to you guys this year. We got a feeling that Towson's going to make a lot of noise this year. Stay in touch. Uh -huh.